welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. your Bibles to John 2, but I wanted to start off with a question. What does God love? And you can, this is for you to respond, you can just shout out, what does God love? Mercy, his glory, who said the Father? So, On that note, absolutely. When I say God, I'm actually referring to God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son, and they both love the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves them. This is the perfect triune God that has perfect love within himself. So very deep theological answer with that one. Thank you, Andrew. Anything else? What else does God love? Justice, the church, his children, very good. These are all things God loves. And and tonight, we want to draw close to God. And we want to see the things that he loves. We want to see his heart. Because the closer you get to God's heart, the more affection you have for God, and you see the things that he loves, you see the things that he hates, guess what happens in your own heart? Those things become the very things that you will love and that you will hate. And so thus becomes the process of you becoming holy as God is holy. But for that to happen, you have to draw in close to who God is. What is his heartbeat? What is he most passionate about? Turn with me to John 2.13. And this evening we're going to see Jesus get very, very passionate about things that he loves. And I'm going to use God and Jesus interchangeably because I'm referring to the Trinity. I'm referring to even the Holy Spirit. These are the things that God, the triune God, loves. And we're going to see that in the person of Jesus Christ at this point. Passover feast that they're going to be at. So John 2, 13. And the first point, let's read the text first. John 2, 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those, well, you know, let's pop there. We'll go verse by verse on this one. So point one is that God loves praise. God loves praise. And we see this, that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. In biblical times, God received praise through this Passover feast. Everybody would come together, every Jewish boy that was 13 and older, and all the men would assemble, and they would offer sacrifices and partake in the Passover feast. And this is how God perfected the praise of his people and received praise. This was a big deal in the Jewish culture. Let's take a little bit. I'd just like to give you a little history of the Passover and what all the things were entailed in this. 
Every male, 12 years and older, the crowd in this city for this feast. And as you know, the Passover commemorates the night in Egypt when the angel of death went through and killed every male son. And those who had the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over. Exodus 12, 23, you can just jot that down, but here's what it says. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and smite you. And verse 24 adds, and you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And God, in this moment, in this exodus from Egypt, was setting up one of the most important important themes of the entire world. The reason he created the universe is found in this moment of this angel of death. Why did God want the Jews to observe the Passover forever? He wanted something significant, an event to be ingrained in their mind so that when John the Baptist was baptizing people that we just learned about a little ago, And he points and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they would know exactly what he meant because they've been celebrating it every year. And in three short years, Jesus is going to be the Passover Lamb. There's actually three Passover feasts that are mentioned in the Gospel of John, so we're going to hit on this again. The first one here is in 2.13. The next one is in 6.4, and the next one is in 11.55. Those are the three feasts that happened in Jesus' ministry time. The Passover was always celebrated at the end of March, the beginning of April. And if you notice, like, hey, that's about the same time that we celebrate Easter, right? That's no coincidence. The Jews celebrated the symbol of the Passover lamb. We celebrate the resurrected power of the Passover lamb. But they're both pointing to the same event. So Jesus and his disciples went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. But what do they find? Verse 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons And the money changers sitting there. And you continue reading. And he sees all this going on. In verse 15 he says, He sits down to make a whip or a scourge. And you wonder, Jesus is about to get angry about what's about to go down here. And you just wonder, how did this happen? How did these people selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, all these people are doing all this money changing and greed, how did this happen to the temple? I'll tell you this, it didn't happen overnight, did it? Corrupting influences do not come in by brute force. Corrupting influences are like an erosion over a long period of time. And they creep in. And so, with the Passover year after year, you know, let me explain this. Many people were traveling a a long way 
and it would have been difficult and would have been ex expensive to you know bring all their own animals so people had animals to sell um, so that the worship was more obtainable also there would have been lots of different currencies from all the different places so they had a, a, a way to exchange the currency to provide people with a service that made it easier to um, acquire the things they needed to to worship and so we do the same thing um, in our church you know we try to make communion easy we don't say you need to bring your own bread and your own wine right we provide that on a on a communion day on, on on in the morning we also provide you know media and different things that allow you to be able to focus um there's lots of different things that we do to 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 enhance worship to make it convenient the problem was not what they were doing it was why they were doing it and if you look in verse 14 what does it say it says in the temple, he found those who were selling. And that's a very important phrase. Look up here real quick. I'm going to show you kind of a little drawing, a diagram of, of the temple. And so you have the Holy of Holies, which is kind of in the, see where it says the priest court, and kind of up in the top there. That's the Holy of Holies. Only one high priest was allowed to go in there once a year to offer incense. You remember Zechariah? When he got John the Baptist's name and he was in there, that's where he was. He was chosen as the priest to go in and offer. Now, the further you go out from there, it kind of, it's, it's um, I don't want to say less holy, but it's, it's not as, God's presence is not as intense, okay, the further you go out. And so we come out and there's the altar, and that's where the animals are slain and, and the sacrifice is, is made, and that's where you bring your all, that's where you bring your sacrifice to. Outside of that, you have the court, you have... Um, outside of that, you have this outer, outer side fence um, that there are different, different aspects of worship going on there. And then outside of that, you have this court of the Gentiles. And then outside of that, you have outside of the entire temple of Jerusalem, you see. So people were allowed to sell sheep. They were allowed to sell oxen and pigeons and the things that people would need for worship. But guess where they were stationed? Way out here. They were outside of the whole thing, right? But guess what? The sheep, the unblemished sheep brand, they're like, we have the best sheep. But to sell my sheep, I need to be closer to the temple, and I will sell more sheep. <laughs> and so they get closer in and closer in. They're like, hey, let's go sit in Solomon's porch, and we'll sell more sheep, make more money. Like, that's good. And nobody tells us not to, so we'll do that. And then the other people are like, selling pigeons, they're like, well, what, what, why are the sheep people getting to be so close? Oh, we're getting, let's get our pigeons. Let's go, let's go closer. Let's go inside. Let's go inside where the, you know, let's go outside of the, where the court of the Gentiles. Let's go inside where the court, where Jewish people are tried in court. We'll sell them right there. And so people continue to get closer and closer and closer until they are in the temple. They are right up, right next to the altar. Now that was really important because... When you bring your animal to be sacrificed at the altar, what is it supposed to do to your heart when that animal is sacrificed? Is it a joyful moment? No, it's a sober moment, isn't it? When I was in Iraq, some of my buddies and Marines, it was, it was slow, and so they went and they started negotiating with these Arab traders. And they traded them, I don't know, something like crackers and peanut butter for a goat. 
And so all of a sudden, my Marine friends are bringing this goat into, like, our camp, and, like, they're all excited and everything. And I had this friend from Texas. His name was Peterson. I was like, and I, he, like, he was on a farm, and he took care of animals and stuff. And I looked at him, he's like, Peterson, <laughs> our buddies, they got a goat, but they don't know what to do with it. And he's like, what? So he ran down. He pulls out his knife, and, he goes, and they, they're like, they have this goat, and they want to eat the goat, right? Because I just... Again, Marines with time, too much time on their hands. And so he's like, you guys don't know what you're doing. Here's, you got you to get the animal down first. And so he, he, he basically sacrifices this goat. He lays it down and he takes his K-bar and he like starts cutting his throat. <laughs> but his knife was not real sharp. And so it was a long process. But during this time, this goat is like, <laughs> you know. It was, God, it was horrific. It was like, oh, my goodness. And, like, so he finally got it, and it goes, like, you know, and dies. And then he goes about skinning it and then cuts the meat off, and they boil the meat. And then we pass the meat around, with, and people took little Tabasco sauce from the MREs and put it on it. And we had wild goat um, in the middle of Iraq. What that experience taught me. That's what they were doing all day long up here. That's what they were doing. They were taking lambs, laying them down live, and cutting their throats and letting them bleed out. And the blood was the sacrifice for their sins. And it was horrific. Why? People, your sin is horrific. It requires death. It requires blood to be spilt. Your sin is serious and has to be dealt with. And that is what the Jewish people, that is the image that they would get over and over as they continue to sacrifice animals. But what's happening is all in this court, you got oxen and sheep and, and, and pigeons, and they're all like, or that's a turkey. Whatever, whatever, what sound do pigeons make? Right. And so, yeah. And so you have all this noise going on, and it distracts away from this moment of I'm sacrificing my lamb for my sin because my sin requires death. And it, would, it minimized that whole aspect. And so what was supposed to be a place of worship, the sounds, the sights, the smell, they're supposed to enhance people's worship, enhance their praise of God. And that's why they offered incense, killed an animal, and all these different things. It was supposed to produce and invoke a brokenness, a contrition in the heart of the worshiper. D.A. Carson said it like this, Instead of solemn dignity and the murmur of prayer, there is the bellowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, holy adoration and prolonged petition, there is noisy commerce. You see, throughout there, there's supposed to be singing praises to God. They're supposed to be crying out to him for salvation and focusing on the coming Messiah. Instead, you know, they have these people that are like, come get your blemished lambs over here. And they're like, hey, you need pigeons. I got your pigeons. Two for one. Let's go. You know, and like all this is going on. You need different chains. We got your temple coins here. Come get your temple coins changed. You know, it's just just commerce and like loudness. I mean, if you've ever been in an other world country and you walk down and it's, you know, it's like a fair in these other countries. It's, if you've seen Aladdin, they do a pretty good job of it. You know, fresh fish, we catch them, you buy them. 
Now you hit home. Now you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about is happening on the inside of the temple. Um, so Jesus finds this. This is what he goes into. And so he doesn't get out of control. But look at verse 15. It says, what does it say there? And making a what? A whip of cords. Now, did he, does it say he found a whip of cords? Does it say he went and bought a whip? He went, he made it. He made it, right? So what is he doing? He's sitting down. <laughs> well, we won't go there. So, and he's, he's sitting down. And he's making a whip of cords. He's braiding it. You see how it's braided? And so he's doing this slowly. He's not out of control. He's perfectly in control. He's thinking about what he's doing. He's thinking about all the people that he loves. He's thinking about God's worship. And he's thinking, this is not what God wants. This is not what God wants now. And I guarantee you, he wasn't surprised to find all this stuff here, was he? Because even as a boy, it says that his parents took him to the Passover feast year after year. He grew up coming to this Passover feast with his dad. And so he would have already known that a lot of this stuff was going on. But now, I'm sorry about this scratching. I'm not sure what needs happening. Now, the king, I know what needs happening. Now, the king has come. I got it. I just had to screw it down. Now, the king has come. Now, the king is going to use his authority authority to make this temple the way it should be and so verse 15 after he makes this whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and he turned over their tables and he told those who sold pigeons take these things away do not make my father's house a house of trade his we'll just pause right there He's in control of himself here, but he is angry. And so he doesn't show up, well, oh my gosh, what's going on here? He shows up, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. And so he goes through out the temple. And as he sees people, and I don't know how, who would you start with? Like, who's, you just, you, you're mine. You know, he's like, you know, let's, let's go. And the guy's like, whoa. And he's like, get this stuff out of here. And he's like opening up the cages, and he's you know, whipping the oxen. Come on, ah, get out of here. And so then there go the ox. And then he flips over the pigeons and he's like, get out of here. You know, I, could, I wish I could do this better. It would be so much better every time I got a great crack. But, and so he's getting rid of the pigeons. He's getting rid of the, and then people are like, if anybody comes near him, you know, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, hey, we're doing our thing. You know, he's like, back up. You know, Jesus is playing the man here. Nobody's going near him. He, there's got to be, Tons and tons of people. There's got to be lots of animals. And he takes them all on. Cleans them all out. And runs them all out of the temple. Because he loves God's place of worship. He loves right worship and right praise. Is it important? Why? For his own ego? No. For the benefit of you. So that your praise can be properly 
exhibited towards the Lord so that you can worship well towards the Lord because that benefits you. And so he's, he's doing this out of an act of love for God's glory, for God's people, for God's temple, for the Passover, for what it meant. It's all culminating and all coming down of what is important to God. And he drives them all out. He throws over the table. and Money goes all over the ground. Look at verse 16. He says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. Nobody could stop him. Which is, by the way, just a reinforcement to me of the immense strength and masculinity of Jesus. I get a little weary of all these soft palm and hollow forehead, weak pictures of Jesus, you know. How many men would walk into a place where there's several hundred men and they're making their livelihood here, right? Something to be defended and take them all on. That's Jesus. You know, something else about Jesus. He is angry here. Jesus is very angry, but he doesn't sin. And if you want to see something, turn with me to Ephesians 4, 26 real quick. And I don't have a lot of time to develop a doctrine of anger. But if you're going to do it, this is, this is where you go in Ephesians 4, verse 26. Because Jesus embodies the proper righteous anger. That we are not only allowed to have, but believe it or not, this is imperative. We are commanded to be angry at times. Ephesians 4, 22, look at this. Um, 26. It says, be angry. That's an imperative. That means you are commanded at times to be angry at things that should be angered against. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry about the things you are supposed to be angry about. Anger is not the sin. The sin is anger when we get angry about the wrong thing and we stay angry for too long. You know, I, I appreciate what Matt Walsh is doing right now, if you know what he's after. He is angry about the transgender uh, attacking children and going after them with all kinds of totally um, wrong medical practices, and he's angry about it, and he's doing something about it, you know. But... Often we get angry about wrong things. Somebody says something hurtful about us. Somebody does something to oppose us. So somebody wounds our pride or affronts our self-righteousness. And then we come up out of our chair with anger. How dare you say that one about me? Right? Or maybe it's more smoldering. It's like, I can't believe he's... That's not fair. That's not, that's not right. And so we get angry about our own self being hurt. And that's the, that's the time when Jesus said that we are to be turning the other cheek, forgive each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, love your enemy, pray for those who use you and persecute you, 
right? There are whole texts about how to deal with your anger when it's not directed at something that is righteous, when it's just for yourself and you're just defending yourself. Lots of texts about that. But we get angry about the wrong things because we don't have, we're not pure of heart. Our hearts are not fully turned to love what God loves. And that's this next point, is that God loves purity. This is what God wants us. He wants us to have pure hearts that are angry, not about when we get offended from somebody else. God wants us to be angry when there is sin in our hearts. He wants us to, as Corinthians 7 says, that we are to, when, when repentance and godly sorrow produces, it produces zeal and earnestness and avenging of wrong. It produces in us a desire to go after our sin that's in our heart that's hurting us and hurting other people. But when we get angry about the wrong things, it's because we don't have pure hearts. Our hearts are not fully tuned to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. You know the second part of Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin, and don't let the, what? The sun go down on your anger. What does the sun represent? A day. Only one day, right? So the idea is, often we get angry about the wrong things, and we also are angry for too long. And we allow, you know, somebody hurts us, and we hold on to that for day after day. You know, anger is only for a moment. Anger is to accomplish God's purpose for today, and it's supposed to dissipate at the end of confrontation. You know, which in all purposes should happen at the end of the day. You know, have a have a plan to drive your anger. Don't let your anger drive you. You know, but there's, there's more to this purity, that God loves purity. And there's, there's a great analogy here with the temple and Jesus cleansing out the temple. Because this, the temple was the place where the Holy Spirit would come and the manifest glory of God was revealed. But that's not the case anymore, is it? Anybody been to a temple lately to see the manifest glory of God? It hadn't happened. Has anybody seen the manifest glory of God recently? You know where he manifests himself? Within you. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the immense reality, the amazing thing that happened with Jesus coming and dying on the cross and his righteousness was put on our behalf and he made access for your body to become the holy of holies where the glory of God could come down and manifest in so his glory would be manifest through you. That's incredible that this place that these temples that were built Right? Solomon's temple, Hezekiah's temple, and then Herod's temple. These, these amazing temples that were, were built with great glory that has been replaced with you. Your body has become the replacement for that. 2 Corinthians 6.16, you can just jot this down. There's some interesting things that happen with, anytime you're in Corinthians, in chapter 6, and you'll see the 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Verse 16 says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, 
And then, and then Paul goes into quotes Exodus 29 and Jeremiah 32. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. As a believer... The house of God is your entire person. So keep God's temple pure. Let Jesus come in and whip out the things that should not be there. Maybe it's a love of money, which was the case here, right? It was a big love of money. Maybe it's significance and wanting to be admired by other people. Maybe it's sexual morality. And another interesting thing, the first, so you have 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, that talks about we are the temple of the, uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says the same thing, but it says all other sins are committed outside the body, but sexual immorality is you commit sin against your own body. It's much like in Ahab's day and the other corrupt kings of Israel that they let cult prostitutes in the temple and that there was sexual worship in the temple and God took great offense at that. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not let impure things in this body. Conduct your body, as 1 Thessalonians says, conduct your body in sanctification and honor because it's where the glory of God resides. If people of this world are going to get a glimpse of God, it's going to be through you. They don't have a temple to look to anymore. God loves praise. God loves purity. He wants you to have a pure heart. And lastly, God loves people. Look at verse 18, back to John 3. John 2, I'm sorry. John 2, 18. It says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you give to show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. These people that come and say, what sign do you, you use to show this, show us, what are you doing to show us that you have the authority to do these things? See, they're making it about them. It's all about them. They're saying, who are you to tell us what to do? You don't have any authority. We're the people who run the temple. What authority do you have? And do you think a miraculous sign at this moment would do anything to change their hearts and their minds about who Jesus was? No. Not at all. And Jesus knew that. If you, if you bump down, and we're going to deal with this verse later on, verse 24 says, Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear Witness about him because he himself knew what was in man. 
every time Jesus had confrontation with the Jews, you know, they want to know, like, what gives Jesus the right to do what he's doing? And he always comes back with these amazing questions that kind of confounds them. And this time's no different. He's just like, tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That's where my authority comes from. Destroy this temple. And he was talking about himself, but I think he intentionally did this to throw them off. Because do you think, um, do you think the Jews and the Pharisees that they that they loved the temple? Why? Why do they love the temple so much? It's where they got their prominence. It's where they had their authority, right? It's where it's where the money was. They loved the temple because it served them. So what does Jesus say? Tear it down. Tear this temple down. And look at the response in verse 20. Jesus said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. I'm like, this guy's crazy. He wants us to tear this down, but I, he, won't, he won't rebuild it. You know, it's interesting in, in, in the amazing way that Jesus does this, he tells them to tear down this temple that is giving them their prominence and their money. And if they would have taken him literally, and they would have torn down the temple, d- destroyed the very thing that gave them their respect in the, in, the, in the society and gave them their significance, if they would have torn that down, they would have saved their souls. But they didn't. And 40 years later, guess what happens? Armies come in and they destroy the temple, not leaving a single stone on another one. So their, their temple is going to be destroyed anyway. But Jesus asked them to do it. Get, get this out of your heart and it will save your soul. Jesus knew people. He knew that that's what they needed to have this temple destroyed in their life. And he has that for you too, to tear down the false temples of your life, to tear down the things that give you comfort, to tear down the things that, that you're using to, to be righteous. What in your life is keeping you from Jesus? Is there anything in your heart that you need to tear down so that then Jesus and the Holy Spirit can have full reign in your, in your heart, in your life? You know, so one, he confronts these Pharisees because he knew that they needed to be confronted with their own sin. But then he also was also manifesting himself of who he was to all these other people. And Jesus knew these people. And he, um, he knew that there was some that needed to be saved from the oppression of this false legalistic system. And many of those people did believe. He loved these people and it was... They, they needed to be shaken up to be saved. And, and look at verse 22. It says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said, Tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is an amazing teacher. And that in a confrontation to this Jewish people, telling them what they needed for salvation, at the same time, these other people are listening, and it's that very phrase that they remember that allows their belief and their faith to strengthen upon Jesus being resurrected. It's an incredible thing in the way that Jesus 
teaches and shows his people because he loves people. He wishes that no man would perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith. That is God's heart. And is that your heart? Do you desire to see all people come? And when you have somebody that is unruly, and you have somebody who is antagonistic to God and his things, those people need to be confronted. Do you have the courage to do that? And when somebody is discouraged, downhearted, and weak, do you come along and, and help them and encourage them and let the Holy Spirit manifest himself through you to that person? Do you love people and want to see them in a right relationship with God? That is what we're to be doing here. You know, Jesus is present right now. His, his spirit is present with us right now. And he has a plan to show himself to you. To make himself, his manifest glory to be more real to you tonight. He knows what's necessary for, for you to follow him. Will you respond? Will you respond to Jesus, the Savior of your soul? If you want Jesus to come in and drive out all the self-centered and self-focused idols of your heart, and will you love the things he loves? Will you love his people? Will you love purity and go after purity? And will you love praise and to be connected to our local body here to show up when, when on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and, uh, and, and you're here tonight to worship together because God loves that and he loves, he wants to perfect your praise. That's what we're here to do.